0: We are going to find some practical, no, first we're going to find some powerful principles. Here's how a Bible study should go down, in my humble opinion, that we should um, prepare our hearts. Uh, we should look for uh, practical principles, but that's not enough. We can't stop at, the, at principalizing the text, as, as they would say. We need to then find practical steps. We find we find the powerful principles, but then we have to adhere ourselves to them and find practical things to take home, doggy bags, spiritual doggy bags to take home and digest. And that's a, a large purpose of, of, of connect groups that you you have a, a corporate meal and then throughout the week you you di- digest it. It works through your system, and you don't want to leave all those truths lying around in the the parking lot, and you can stumble over them on your, on your way out of here. Our, our title tonight is Brainwash. Brainwash is the name, name of our, our message tonight. And uh, for some context, let's look up at um, verse 7 of chapter 55, and then we'll get into our, our main course after that. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and pay attention to this, and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy upon him and he will abundantly pardon. Then, for my thoughts, the Lord says, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That is so rich. Just so good. Um, Brainwashing, It has some negative baggage with it. It really came to to public notice during the Korean War, uh, when the Chinese army would try to brainwash and indoctrinate the prisoners of war, uh, both from Korea and from America. In the book and the movie, Manchurian Candidate came out of that principle. And so it has that connotation of of, of being indoctrinated. Uh, Brainwashing has predominantly been used in reference to severe programs of political indoctrination. Occasionally with certain religious groups, the Moonies, for example, occultic uh, practices. Brainwashing works primarily by making the victims' existing beliefs and attitudes non-functional and replacing them with new ones. And so uh, that has been the, the, the history of brainwashing in, in, in a nutshell. But um, some Christian groups have been accused of brainwashing. I've heard that sort of, oh, they're just trying to, to brainwash you in the church. And I think, right, 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 right. I uh, I don't know about you, but when I came to Christ, my brain needed some serious washing. I mean, my my brain was a was a nightmare. I, I didn't I didn't even I, I didn't even like me, and uh, I I held my like said, Jim Carrey line. I hold myself in contempt. And I did, and, I, and I, I still do. And it's not a one-time event, but I was in serious need of washing. I realized after I, I, I was converted, almost everything I thought was wrong. I mean, most, most of the things I believed about life were just wrong. And so I, I, that's the whole point of being what? Converted. And so brainwashing may seem strong, but I, I don't think so. I needed it then. I still need it. I bet there's folks listening and watching tonight on the radio... And, li- and watching on the web and here in this room who may think, you know, I, I, my, 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 I don't always think straight. and My thinking gets me into trouble. And uh, your brain's a marvelous thing. 86 million nerve cells. Five, five, listen, five trillion chemical reactions going on in your brain every second. You're able to multitask. You're able to do tremendous uh, computing. Your, your brain works 30 times faster than the, the quickest supercomputer in the world right now. It's encased in a, in a skull that protects it, and it's, I think it's eight pounds your, your brain weighs, and it can function for up to 100 years without any maintenance, I mean, for the most part. I mean, people don't have to get their brains maintained. It's, it's, isn't evolution a wonderful thing? I mean, Yeah. Also, fraudulent. Uh, Here's what we need to do, though. We need to consider what we think about God. But before we do, in fact, it wasn't C.S. Lewis. It may have been um, uh, my utmost for his highest. In any case, uh, the, the first thing you think about God tells the most about you. But before we do that, we need to understand, listen, what God thinks about you. Because that should dictate what you think about him. And if you have the wrong thinking about how, what God's thoughts are towards you, that's going to cause a chain reaction in your life. It's going to set off a catalytic conversion of, of wrong thoughts, wrong actions. And listen, most of the problems you have in your outward life today, most of your problems are because you are embracing an inward false thought. In fact, somebody said, and it might have been me, but we'll see, uh, that... Most of the problems, if not all the problems we have in our life, is because there's something you don't understand about the love of God. Ooh, I think I'm going to claim that one, even if, even if <laughs> not entirely original. Most of the things that cause problems in your life are because there's something about the love of God for you that you misunderstand and misinterpret. That's strong. Because he, he loves you so much, and we're going to dig down into that. But we need to think about what he thinks about us. And he says, here, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're higher. They're superior. And we need to what? Get on his page. Because God is saying to you tonight, come up. He wants, he wants you to live up. It's always, the Bible is always, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Look, And God's calling you up tonight. He wants you to have the, the crucified, higher life in him. And we're like, but what about earth down here? What I did, come up. You, I got that covered, come up. He's always saying come up to you in his grace and favor. That's what he's calling you up because up above the pollution. Have you noticed that when you fly? I mean, when you're on the, on the tarmac and then, then you, take, and you, you break out of the clouds, all of a sudden, it's beautiful weather all the time up there. Right? Like down here, we've got all kinds of commotion and confusion and chaos. But once you break out and God says, come up, Get a different view of your life and of my plans for you. What does God think about you? Psalm 45 says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which you have done, and thy thoughts which are us towards. God's thinking. You are on God's mind. And we have to recognize that he has the capacity and the capability to think about all of us all the time in ways that are magnificent. That's why his ways and thoughts are, are beyond us. But he, he's drawing us up and replicating himself in some fantastic way. Psalm 92.5, O oh Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. He's thinking about you. His, more than the grain of the sands of the sea, more than the, the hairs that are numbered on your head, those are his thoughts towards you. Okay? And so he has an aerial view of our lives which gives, you, gives him a tremendous advantage. He sees the past from the, from the future and the beginning. He sees it all. Uh, as my friend Raul Reese said, he knows, man. He really knows. He knows it all. He, he, he knows. And Isaiah, uh, if we find in, in, verse, in verse 9 that he's up there. He's, he's higher. He has this significant view as the heavens are higher than the earth. I love this scripture in Hebrews 4.12. It it really kind of of outlines our whole study tonight together. I think we'll have it up here in a second. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division, here it is, to the division of soul, spirit, and joints and marrow. Soul, spirit, and body. You are a triune creature. You are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul and spirit that is encased in a body for the time being. When the body passes away, your soul and spirit will continue. And, and that's what we need to really understand. And God's just not um, aware of what you're doing. If you look at the last part of verse 12, he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents. In other words, God knows your motives. God knows your heart. And even though you may flail about it and fall, he, he knows your basic heart That you want if you want to please him. If that's just your, your intent... They, God's going to encourage that and not step on it, Jesus said. He won't step on a, on a flaming ember that's separated from the fire. You see, uh, that's why Paul said, by the way, a footnote, it's a small thing to me that any man should judge me. Because they don't know my heart. P- people make observations about, about people. And what people do is take a, take a screenshot of your life, catch you, find you doing something wrong or something that is, is uh, inconsistent with your testimony, and they put that in their wallet, and that becomes you to them. And they judge you, and, they, and that, that precludes the grace of God changing you. It precludes what you may have done, why it may have happened, many different. God is seeing all those factors in your life. So there was no big deal to Paul that a man should say, "Oh, Paul, this or Paul, that." See, I want to be um, if you're obsessed with what men think of you, that's going to uh, cause you to forfeit caring about what God thinks about you. My concern is what God thinks about my life. because he sees the 360, he sees the whole deal. And and, and he he is a very compassionate and gracious, unlike many humans. So there you go. Now regarding God's thoughts, his thoughts result in his actions, just as ours do. We're just like him. The things we think, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he in his life, the Bible says. Same thing's true about God. As his thoughts are towards you, he, they represent how he's going to act, how he's going to love you, how everything he does for you is, is, is a function of making, it's for your own good, but it's your ultimate good. God's long-term, we are short-term. We want immediate gratification. He wants you to be eternally like Christ. Now, there's a, that's what you call, that's the definition of a trial. When you're in the collision of your will and his ultimate good for you. And those things are in collision. And the question is going to be, do you trust him at that point? At that point of contact, at that point of collision, the explosion, when your short-term goals collide with his long-term plan for you, the question is, do you still think you know better than him? Well, do you? I want to hear some no's. All right. Come on. No, we, you do. if we don't get that, we've got to start all over again. We don't want to do that. Okay. We don't know better. That's a trial that God has allowed something into your life. Do you believe He's omnipresent? Do you believe He's omnipotent? Do you believe He, he loves you in, with everlasting love? You see, that's why you have to understand His thoughts, and they're higher than yours. We've never come in contact with that kind of love. We've come in contact with likes and, 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 and uh, erotic love and, and, and possessive love and, and temporary love, but this kind of love is a whole different animal. It, it, it's the agape love, where every, everything God does for you is for your own good. Everything, whether it's chastening, whether it's encouraging. Well, he looked at you and said, what's the best thing that could happen to this person? And the, and the answer is to spend eternity with me in heaven. Well, how are we going to get... This piece of work into in, in heaven. Well, we're going to have to get him forgiven. Jesus, you go. And that's what, that's what that was a God that was loving you. The best thing that could have happened to you. Now, between that moment and in the, and the, and that day, and, and that day's coming when you're going to see him face to face, and, and all, all all the all the curtains will be opened. That's the Book of Revelation, the Apocalypse of Jesus. Uh, between that day, he, he's he's gradually trying to to cause you to become to make decisions that are Christ-like. And that, that's going to come in conflict with your short-term goals. So what the Bible says in Psalm 103.7, here's the deal. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. I go back to that scripture constantly because a lot of people watch the acts of God. They, they, they know the stories of the Bible. They see God afar off working. But Moses knew his ways. And you don't know somebody's ways unless you're up close and personal and intimate with them, you see? And that's what most, the children of Israel, they were down below Mount Sinai watching the fire and smoke and God doing all this stuff and opening up the Red Sea. They they watched God from afar off. Moses was right there with the glory. Moses was was, was personal with with the Shekinah glory of God. that, That begs the question for us, how close are you to the Lord? Because it, it, it's, it's a little dangerous being that close to that much power. It's, it's going to cause you, it's going it's to melt your face sometimes. It's gonna, it's gonna, no, it's going to cause your, your dreams to evaporate. They, they, you just can't, there isn't time to do everything you want to do and everything God wants you to do. There just isn't that many hours in a day or that many days in your life. So if you're going to walk tight with him, it's going to cause you to forsake things. Because he's going he's to demand things of you. Oh, for your own good. Not that he, God's not depending on the human race for much. That, that's a fact. So, what are God's priorities today? What are, what, what are his motives? What are his goals? Both micro in your life, uh, medium in this church, and macro in the human race altogether in general. What, what, we need to understand, I'm not going to give you the answers here. We need to know these things. What, what are God's priorities? What really matters to him? What makes headlines in heavens? What's the currency of the kingdom? What's the economy of, of, of the Lord? What is he dealing? See, we, we traffic in, uh, in such temporal things, in, in money and, and pleasure, and we, we buy tickets for this, and we plan two weeks here or there, whatever it might be. But what are God's long-term goals? See, we need to get on his page. That's a good page to be on. Um, we need to get in his rhythm. We need to be in his flow. God has a flow. And that's, that's why it's going to show us here in just a moment that um, the principle of, of farming is coming into play because God has seasons. The Bible says there's a season for everything. and That's how, that's how God deals with, with mankind. Uh, to, and the only way to get in his flow and understand his rhythm is what? To walk with him. See, it, you, it's the only way you can do it. It's, it's what? It's step by step. Now, frankly, I don't like that. I'd like a, the zap. I would like the microwave Christianity. I, I would like just to, you know, have it just be over, overnight sensation. But uh, my next point is there are no magic beans. You're dealing with Jesus, not Jack and the beanstalk here. You, yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. You walk step by step. And then, oh, you know, that, oh, I see. I see how he dealt with that situation. I, I begin to understand, I begin to grasp and comprehend the ways of Jesus. And that begins to flood into my soul and infiltrate by spiritual osmosis. You see, uh, he doesn't always do things instantaneously. Now he can, and he has. And sometimes you say, oh, I want a New Testament church like the book of Acts. There were miracles flying all over the place. Not really. About one per year, really, in the book of Acts. It covers that span of time. There's 29, 30 miracles, whatever, in Acts. So it wasn't like every time they turned around. But God does do that periodically, and he's more than capable of, but he doesn't do that consistently, it would seem to me. There are breakthroughs, but not shortcuts. There are breakthroughs spiritually, but they aren't shortcuts. We would prefer that, would we not? For that's a verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me in Isaiah 55. For as the rain comes down... And the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but the water, they water the earth, they make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, this is so important. This is, this is God's rhythm, this is God, God, God's system. And, and it has the, he, he illustrates it through the principle of farming, you see. And here are three things. If you're going to write anything down tonight, write this down. Number one. You reap what you sow. It's it's a a powerful, undeniable spiritual principle. You reap what you sow. In other words, you can't sow weeds and get wheat. You can't sow to the flesh and get anything but the whirlwind. If if you reap to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. This this solves so many mysteries in life. I just solved so many problems for you. You don't know, but I have. You reap what you sow. Whatever you're planting is what you're going to sow in six months to a year. Whatever you're reaping today is what you sowed a year ago. You see? And then, number two, you reap more than you sow. Ooh, that's good. You reap more than you sow. You see, When I as a kid, I planted corn. Take one kernel of corn, put it in a furrow, and then a little little, uh, sprout comes up. Thank you. And... um, and eventually the stalk is there. Knee high by the 4th of July, mid-August you've got corn and, and the tassels and whatnot. But one kernel, one stalk, three to five uh, cobs of corn. With how many kernels? Hundreds. You reap more than you sow. See, God's going to multiply whatever you do. Whatever This goes for both sides of the ledger here. It's, if you sow good seed, you're going to have good fruit. But if you are sowing bad seed, it also, this principle, is, is unstoppable. It's, 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 it's undeniable. You reap more than you sow. And then thirdly, you reap what you sow, you reap uh, more than you sow, and then you reap after you sow. Well, that's the hard part. That's, that's the magic bean part. We wish it was just like that. But God, in His infinite wisdom, has not that's the sequence, that's the system, that's the rhythm of heaven. You see, you reap after you sow, it just takes time. See? And the sooner you start determining yourself to sow good seed, the better off you're going to be, both now and permanently. Oh, this is so, getting so good. So then, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Did you get that? S- the same way you sow a seed, and there, there's a uh, time for every season, so shall it be with the word of God. And this should give you great comfort in your in your family and friends who you've given the word of God to and they've rejected it. But you have done what? You've planted that seed. You've embedded the word of God in their life. And so, look, so shall my word be when it goes forth from my mouth. This is great comfort and confidence to me. This, this is, you know, people say God gave me a life verse. He never gave me one. So I just went and took this one. That's, I've claimed this as my life verse. Um, because, folks, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we turn God's word loose, uh, that's our responsibility. He superintends it. He oversees it. See, it, it's, it's, it's like a lion. You just turn it loose and let it do what it's been sent to do. Now, I'll, I'll be frank with you. I have taken time at this stage and age of my life to look over my spiritual resume and not with any kind of pride and not, not to, to, to puff myself up. Just, I want to just, you know what? I, I'd rather do it now when I can still adjust it, still make changes to what days I have left. And I've asked myself, if I look back over my career, have I left more of the Word of God behind than when I was there? Do people know more about Jesus because I've been somewhere than they knew before I came? Those are really the questions I have. That's how I evaluate my life. It's not based on how many vacations I have or what kind of vehicle or my cars. Or my, you know. I, I wish we could look at our spiritual bank account the way I can look at my 403B. I can go online and put my password in. I can see exactly what's in my retirement fund. I, I wish I could do that, my, but I can't. But I can get a good idea. I, I have a feeling for things where I know I've contributed to the kingdom. And, and I'm no hero, but I'm saying we all should, we all should know our spiritual resumes. We should have some a grasp on our spiritual bank accounts. And if that puzzles you and says, well, I'm not sure I have one, well, you better get one because you're going to want one someday. And, and this is the only time you can possibly contribute to it and create one. Once we are with him, it's over. No more evangelism. Uh, no more heart for the house. We're, we're going to be in, in, in the mansions in heaven. This is the time. This is the only time in your entire life you'll have the opportunity to do that. And my advice to you is: do it now, do it strong. I don't think you know. Billy Graham said he's never met anybody that regretted coming to Christ. I would say the same thing. But I would say that in heaven you'll not know anybody that regretted giving to God's kingdom. And I'm not talking just. I'm talking your your energy, your your discretionary time, your 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 sacrificing a certain things, and and, and your uh, financial support. I don't think anybody, boy, I wish I hadn't gone on that mission trip. I, I wish I'd gone, you know, to Costa Rica, to the other side of the beach. You know, I don't think anybody will feel that way in heaven. If anything, it'll be, wow, why didn't I do more? You know, could that be, could that be while the Bible says two things that almost seem conflicting in Revelation? It says, there'll be no more tears. But before that, it says, he'll wipe away every tear. Could it be where you go, Jesus, I wish I'd done more. I, what, what was I thinking? Why wasn't I doing? What, what, how, how could I have been so selfish? And, and he said, well, I was calling you up, but you're always looking down. You're always looking down. I, come up. Come up to my ways. Come up the way I see things. Start thinking my thoughts, and so we're going to find some very real ways to do that uh, right now. Change your seed. Change the kind of seed you're planting. If you're getting bad weeds, change the seed. Start planting good kingdom seed in good broken up soil and cultivate it and water it with living water and you are guaranteed a flourishing harvest. Verse 12, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. Uh, That is a a great promise. In fact, I realize that this is one of three promises in the Bible about how God really kind of surrounds us. Now here we're we're going out, we're being led forth with joy, you see, in in this instance, because we followed uh, the, the pardoning further up in the Scripture. We have abandoned unrighteous thoughts and unrighteous ways, and now God promises to lead us out with joy. Well, Psalm 23 says, what, surely goodness and mercy will what? Follow us all the days of our life. And furthermore, uh, when it talks about the acceptable fast, it says that God's glory, God's glory will be your rear guard. Now, how cool is that? So God's got us surrounded. We're being led out by his joy and peace, followed by his goodness and mercy, and then just to cover our back, here's God's glory. And that's how we can go through every day. That's why there's really no um, uh, excuse for a bored Christian life when God makes these fantastic promises despite your circumstances. And so Jesus said, my peace and joy I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Do I give? They give temporary artificial peace and joy. Are you tired of the world's offers? Are you still chasing them? You still believe in them? Now they're they're slick. I mean, I've worked with agencies in Madison Avenue and L.A. and all. They're slick. They have you. They have you. They have you targeted. They know what you. You know what you buy. What you like. What, where you shop. What you're. They know you. They think they've got you. But you can say, Ah, Jesus has got me. That I, I'm I'm on a different track here, pal. I'm on a different page entirely. The world's offers are temporary and they are artificial. God's offers are permanent. And they are eternal. But there is bad seed. We have to, we have to acknowledge it. I want to talk about it briefly. The a book some years ago called The Frog in the Kettle. We know that principle, do you not? You take a frog and put him in a bucket of cold water. He'll just sit there and rib it all day. But if you put him in a, in a, on a stove with a cold water and begin to turn it up slowly, he'll just sit there also. Had you put him in a bucket of hot water, he'd hop out immediately. He'd have enough sense. But because the, the water gets hot gradually, he'll boil to death in that bucket. See, that's the principle of the frog in the kettle. That's what's happened to our culture in America. That's what's happened to the church in some ways. Um, we've been frogs in the kettle. You know, in 1949, the movie Gone with the Wind came out with Clark Gable and Vivian Lee. Huge movie. Civil War epic. Huge it was very controversial. Do you know why? Do you know why? Yeah. It had one word of profanity in it. It was the D word. And preachers preached against it, and it was controversial, and it said the. D, it said the word "damn." Okay, there I've said it, Brittany. there you go. So <laughs> that, that was gone with the wind and in, in in, in basically in our generation, the baby boom generation. I did. I worked with Focus and the family. I looked I plugged in just for. A, I picked a movie at random that was fairly popular a couple of years ago called Hangover. It's a very, very, very popular, very popular movie about Las Vegas. You know, and they go through and they uh, analyze the movies. And uh, Hangover had 91 F words in it. it. Took the Lord's name in vain 30 times. You see, and those are the kind of films people are watching, both in and out of the church you see, and uh, frogs in the kettle. And when we as Christians, especially men, watch this kind of garbage, we forfeit our spiritual authority to manage our household. How can we say to our kids, don't watch this when we do? So we we have to be careful to be gatekeepers in our homes and be willing to do things that are are, are painful. You know the definition of compromise. Hi, guys. (laughs) You may be here for a while. Definition of uh, definition of compromise is, is walking out on the movie the second time you see it that 'll hit you in the parking lot sometime. <laughs> Bible says Jesus made the whip himself one day, two days actually, he, he went to the temple and cast out the money changers, turned over the tables, and just caused havoc well, it 's rare, but it 's real that God calls for radical action sometimes in our lives. And God may be calling you to take some radical action. I came across a story in the Old Testament of Ahaz, who was one of the worst kings ever. I mean, he was just an evil individual. He caused his sons to pass through the fire, which means he put them in, in, in flames in Molech's hands. Uh, he went to Damascus and sketched out pay, pagan altars and had them replicated all over Israel. He closed the temple, closed, closed it up to worship and to sacrifice. You know, He was just an evil individual. His son is Hezekiah. One of the best kings ever. You see, Some of you have had bad families. You think you have bad DNA. I hear people talking, I'm the adult child of a divorced family. Well, yeah, he was the adult, adult child of a completely evil individual. And yet he became the best. One of the best kings ever in, in Judah. My, my point is this. Uh, when he took over, he went and tore down the high places that dad had established. He, he opened up the temple. He started worship, and he, he, he led a national repentance. And my encouragement to you is consider maybe God's calling you to tear down some high places that have been established in your life, to false worship. There are, are, are deceitful kings in your life that you need to, to remove and open up, open up the temple to worship. The Bible says uh, our, our body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that we, we shouldn't be merchandising in the temple that we, we should be about the Father's business. So regardless of where you came from, the truth can still set you free. Uh, the truth is calling you up to a higher life. It's time for us to come in our thought life out of the world's gutter and, and replace those things with God. We need to think God thoughts. That's not too high and mighty. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. You have the mind of Christ. You simply have to operate in it. You have to walk in it. You have to replace worldly thoughts, and we have tens of thousands of thoughts each day. You need to replace them with God thoughts. What does God think about this situation? What does God think about you here? And, and speak to yourself, and not allow hidden sins uh, to be on the high places of your life. Craig Rochelle said, unconfessed sin is like storing poison in our soul. In our soul. Well, real quickly, we have a few minutes here. Uh, spirit, soul, and body detox. I want you to imagine a snowman, three concentric circles. Okay? Be- before Christ, in your BC days, it was body, soul, spirit. Your body ran the show. If you were hungry, oh, I'm starving to death. If you wanted whatever you wanted, you, your, your body ran after it because you, you, you wanted that sensation. Your soul was in the middle. That's where your seat of your emotions, your mind, and your will are, and your soul followed your body. Your spirit was dead on the bottom. Now at conversion, literally you flipped; it was inverted. Now the spirit is alive, the soul's in the middle, and the body is in the bottom. But it, it is irritated by no longer being in charge. So it will, it will act out with childish tantrums and demand things. Your job is, is that's when you buffet it. You put it. You say no. The crucified life is put it to death. Now, you have it's, it's, a, it's a factor, it's a reality, but that's where you have to put the, the spirit drive. The soul will go whichever way, okay, is on top. And you want to make sure you're living a spiritual life. That's why we need to detox our spirit, our soul, and our body. That the peace of God, let's look at the scripture. It's so good in First Thessalonians. That the God of peace himself may sanctify you, I mean separate you completely. May your whole spirit, you see the list here, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless until that great day. And finally, we'll, uh, we'll jump ahead, guys, to just some real fast-fire uh, facts. And uh, we'll get started with, with our worship team. And here's, here's some real fast facts for you. Uh, first of all, what you feed grows in your life. Starve what you want to wither and die. I'll repeat that. What you feed grows in your life. Starve what you want to wither and die. That's the action you begin to take. Fill your soul with God and not garbage. Okay? Uh, at the time in my life, I went through a severe trial. I mean, it was, it was significant. And I, 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 it's very unusual to have that kind of disruption in, in my equilibrium. I came across a little book at the advice of a friend called um, uh, God's Prescription for Spiritual Peace. And all, all it really was was... Recite Psalm 23 once an hour. I thought, really, really? At this stage of my Christian walk, and I was like Naaman. I, I'm not going to go go in that river, you know. But you know, I I started doing that, and you know what? It wasn't overnight, but gradually it drew me out of that depression. It drew me through that trial. It wasn't some miracle. De- I just began to have the peace of God that passes all understanding, and you can too. I, I just filled my, my mind and my life with God thoughts. I've used that principle going forward. Uh, dethrone, dethrone the false king. Tear down any high places you've allowed to be erected by your family or by yourself in your life. And and the Holy Spirit speaking to people right now, you know where those high places are. You know where you go to worship false gods in your life for the pleasure and for the passion. Nothing can hold the weight of the glory of God in your life except Jesus. This is, such a great, this is such a great principle. You see, the word in the Hebrew for glory is Shabbat. It means weight, the weight. And this is why celebrities and mega athletes and superstars can't handle our worship. It's too heavy for them, you see. And they crumble under that weight. That's why when people f- fall in love so young and they say, I worship the ground she walks on. They never can handle that weight. They, they're gonna, it's going to crush them. Do You know what? I believe the, the rebelling angels worship Satan when, when they, they came against God. And what happened to Satan? Jesus said, I beheld Satan, Lucifer, falling from heaven like lightning. I think that worship crushed him too, even though that's what he wanted in life. So there's only one person who desir- deserves your worship. Only, only one place it can go where it, it, it belongs. Now, here's a closing thought, and I wish I had more time for this. Um, You need to pull out the major weeds in your life too. Uh, Hebrews talks about in verse uh, 15 of chapter 12. Look, listen, focus on this. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by this many are defiled. Bad weeds, bad seeds, bad news. Bitterness in your life, that leads to anger, that leads to envy, leads to every evil thing bad seed. So finally, what are the desires of your heart? See, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you read that one way, it's like, that's great. If I just just delight myself in God, he'll give me my desires. I I think the way to read that is he'll tell you what the desires should be. If you're delighted in Him, He'll he'll replace your desires with His desires. And that's a whole new ballgame, is it not? Well, we've been scrubbing our brains tonight. Here's some homework for y'all. It's to read 2 Corinthians 7.1. Practically, you need to return to your first love, strengthen the things that remain, and do the first works. If If you're looking for practical steps now to go forward from tonight and not to leave these truths behind, Return to your first love, where you find the joy of the Lord will become your strength. Strengthen what remains. Don't worry about what's lost is lost and past is past. Strengthen what's left in your life. And then do the first works. Just get into the Word, get into prayer, get into worship, be around God's people, be around God, get in in God's flow, be part of His seasons, His rhythm. You see, do the first works and you'll find your life beginning, beginning to revert back to that honeymoon experience with Him. So I want to make sure I give an opportunity tonight before we close for anyone who never made that initial step, never had that pardoning experience. We're going to pray here in a moment, but I just want to say to you, Jesus died for your sins, became sin for you, and you have the opportunity to know him in a real way tonight. This is an, inter- this is an intersection in your life where God, God's called you here. This can become your moment. Those of you watching by way of the internet, those of you listening on the radio, it's true for you too. You can know him in a, in a real, intimate, and personal way by simply allowing him to forgive you. Let's all pray together. Lord, we uh, are thankful we can come to the foot of the cross and, and find grace and favor, even though we know we don't deserve it. It's unmerited, Lord. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have have been converted, God. And I want to share that with anyone tonight, watching, listening, or here in this room. You have the opportunity to know Jesus in a very powerful and personal way. We want to pray with you. We want to rejoice with you and celebrate with you as your new family. If you want that prayer, if you want to take that step, just raise your hand right now, and we're going to pray for you. Anyone here tonight, God bless you in the back. And you, we'll take a moment here. It's an important time. Those of you watching and listening, you too can make that choice in the counsel, the quiet privacy of your own heart. Just say yes to Jesus, yes to his forgiveness, to the great work he did on the cross for you. And and he'll come and he'll honor his word that whosoever will can come to him and they can have a relationship with him. Let's all pray together, shall we? Jesus, I believe I am a sinner. Please forgive my sins. Help me to love you. Help me to serve you and walk with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's all stand.